Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. I am your MC for the day. My name is Rob Croyle, and I'd like to welcome Jennifer Bartlett. Hello. And Kyle. Howdy, y'all. We are running footnotes without our illustrious Logan Daly. He is on vacay for the Thanksgiving celebration, and he's down in southern Idaho with his family. So shout out to Logan. Uh, Logan is still going to mix this bad boy and put this online, so I'm sure he'll do something right here, right now, just to mess with me. But Dad plunged it? The sink? Mm-hmm. Did anything come out? No, it just all went. A gun? Yeah. Oh. I, it was way down. Oh. I I broke it loose. Huh. And it drained like crazy. That's fantastic. Uh, we're excited I to sure have another so. episode of Footnotes. And I missed last week. And so it's all fine and good and fitting that Logan misses this week. And Kyle misses the next six weeks. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Do yeah. I I won't miss any. I guess I'm the yeah. Well, basically, Jen's the anchor of footnotes, the glue that holds everything together. Thank you for acknowledging that. I really appreciate it. It's, it's true. <laughs> Everyone else misses consistently, but you haven't missed a time yet. Good job, Jen. Gold star. We will pay you as much next week as we did last week. How's that? Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Double the pay. <laughs> Two gold stars. You get paid in coffee, right? <laughs> Coffee's good. Coffee's good. Well, we're going to start off with uh, shortcoming. And uh, this week, our shortcoming was our audio feed a couple different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually had a couple weeks like that. But I want to actually give a shout out to both our people that are listening that are communicating either through Facebook or YouTube because they're letting us know what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful. Super helpful. Thank you for uh, bringing it to our attention. We do notice when you post that. And then our tech team has been working uh, feverishly to get things restored and communicate with us on stage if, if they need us mm-hmm. to do something different. So uh, thank you for everybody that's just making all this work. Um, what we do today is way more complex than what we did six months ago. And so uh, people just communicating like that, both uh, in-house and online, is super helpful. And we're getting this stuff figured out. So our our tech team, they they really do an amazing job of, of tracking so many elements of of what needs to happen to... Uh, make this go live mm-hmm. and we're doing it in kind of, well, we have a really small team mm-hmm. and so that makes some things challenging and we're not totally set up the way we'd want to be down the road. We've kind of had to, we're building this airplane as we fly it, <laughs> to use an Air Force term. <laughs> 
and so you know some of the things some of the communication tools aren't aren't quite there yet but we're we're getting there slowly but surely as as we have the resources to spend and uh and we're in the middle of a pandemic, so mm-hmm. you know, trying to be a little conservative there too. But we are making improvements as we go, and uh, you guys are really helping us out. So thank you, one and all. Mm-hmm. You guys are rock stars. Yeah, you are. Well, let's talk about Advent traditions. And, uh, you know, we, we broke tradition this week by having an Advent prequel. Which I loved. I liked getting a little history lesson on why Advent yeah. was so important and creative and stuff like that. So It was some fun tidbits of knowledge I got to leave with. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I really liked it. It was almost... Like, I, I liked how we got almost a lecture and a sermon put into one. Yeah. It was a lecture sermon. It was like a TED Talk... But with Jesus. <laughs> TED Talk for Jesus. <laughs> Thank that's, you, uh, Logan. Mm, that's Stacy. Yeah, so our Christmas is 20% bigger this year. Love it. It's supersized. Awesome. And, uh, you know, so Advent. Advent is to drive a certain conversation. And, and traditionally within the Jewish system of of celebration, the the different festivals are really geared towards the children. They're very active. They're very tactile. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's smells and food, and you know, you in the in the feast of the booths, you you're you're sleeping out in the tent, you know, or 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 something's like a tent, but it's a booth that's that you build for that week and then you tear it down, you know? So as a kid, like you're going to enjoy this experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Easter and Advent are, you know, Christmas, you know, these are seasons that, that we could really make special for our kids if we put some thought and energy into it. And, and they really should be a big focus of what we're doing. So I just want to ask you guys, what are some of your Advent traditions, whether they're um, new or old? Mm-hmm. I'll go first. <laughs> um, so- Shambo, guys, come on. <laughs> For those of you who weren't me, Rob, or Jen, me and Jen just had a stare down to decide who was going to talk first. I won. I seated. <laughs> I think it was both deer in the headlights. Looking. <laughs> um, so it's interesting because I kind of jumped into the parenting thing uh, when the girls were nine and 10. And so I have been learning as I go as far as how to make traditions and how to honor the traditions that they have from their family that maybe I can implement um but one of the things um i've done during christmas time i wouldn't say it was necessarily an advent tradition um the girls loved lighting candles (laughs) they love fire so that's probably (laughs) who doesn't love fire (laughs) yeah (laughs) but we would try to do something fun and christmassy 
every Sunday. So whether it was decorating cookies or decorating mm. the Christmas tree and like, I think about it now and that's kind of like this Advent tradition that I didn't even realize I was creating. Um, right. As right. far as like, and I wish I would have been more in tune with it because I could have worked the things we did around hope and peace and joy and love and like how cool would that have been? Oh, oh well. But learn, learn. <laughs> next time. Um, so, yeah. so, you know, as parents, we, I think oftentimes we think about, man, I would have done that differently mm-hmm. there and there and there and there. And we get that opportunity and it's called grandparenthood. So <laughs> welcome to... Uh, <laughs> I have a very, very, very long time until that happens. Yes. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I think Advent is this, this period where as, let's let's look three years ago, Kyle, Advent was, oh yeah, we get to open another door on the chocolate calendar today. And like, I think it was just like, you know, a time where there was relatively higher spirits, but there wasn't necessarily a purpose behind anything. And then I noticed the transformation, just the the different understanding of of this time period and even Christmas itself. As a Christian now, I remember my first Christmas Eve service after being baptized, which was last year. So I remember last year's Christmas Eve service, and uh, <laughs> it was like a different, I don't know, it, it felt more whole almost. Sure. And so I think, like, yeah, I have fun stuff I do with my family during Christmas time. We, we do the chocolate calendar. We go Christmas light looking. We do X, Y, Z. But I think there's room for me to, like, grow into this this wholeness that I have now as a believer to to really accept Christmas time and the period of Advent for what it is and not just the 24 days leading up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Because you coming to Christ, if I remember correctly, you coming to Christ really led your mom mm-hmm. to... The family kind of re-engaged in Christianity, for sure. They connected deeper, and so they had yeah. these... these these, you guys had these traditions that were quasi-connected to the Christ story? Mm-hmm. But not really. Like, it was, I don't know. I think they were mostly just, like, traditions to yep. make Christmas time special. Cause like More our, secular than yeah, spiritual. Yeah, definitely a lot more based in the secular realm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I get that. I get that. So, Christy grew up with an advent calendar that her mom created it's it's made out of fabric and this it's got all the dates and and there's a slot for each date and you you talk about the chocolate uh this had her mom would write out the story on pieces of paper and then put a piece of paper in each of the dates and mm-hmm. And when you read that particular date's portion of the story, you got chocolate. Mm, that's and cool. and so Christy brought that tradition to her home. 
I didn't have a tradition because like you, when I was growing up, we, our celebration was completely secular. In fact, we, the only tradition that we had for Christmas was that we would open presents early. One time more than a week early. <laughs> and I try to implement that tradition in our household. And my wife was so distraught over the fact that I talked her into this, that she, this was our first or second, maybe our third Christmas. I think J Jacob was, was one or two and Josh was probably just born, you know, and so uh -huh. just a few months old and, or a year old. And Chrissy had to go buy another set of presents so that they could open presents on Christmas because yeah. oh. opening presents on Christmas was something firmly set in her soul. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I agree with Christy. I can't imagine, like, okay, I think one of my traditions that I shouldn't mention because my mom listens to the podcast is my sister and I. Hi, Jen's mom. <laughs> I always used to like know what we were getting because we would like let each other know. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at surprises, so like so does my brother. Yeah, <laughs> I so always knew. I always talk my brother into telling me. Oh yeah. See, that's why my mom just doesn't tell any of the three kids what each of the three other or two other kids are getting. That's so smart. it's it's top secret on all fronts because she knows we communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the whole thought of opening presents a week early sounds super exciting to me. But then like, what do you do on Christmas Day then? Like, oh, we we were playing hardcore with our with our whatever by then. But if oh. you opened a week early. Yeah. Like that's that's seven days to already have played with this. You've weeded out the good toys from the bad toys at that point. You like, got bored with the good toys. even so, at that point. so when we talk about our shadow, I'll come back to the story. Okay. Okay. Because oh, that's that's it's worth it's worth looking at another level. But let's move on from here. Well, let me let me just say this about Advent traditions. I think all of us have on a continuum some some mixture of secular and spiritual traditions when it comes to Advent, mm -hmm. and there's no right or wrong answer here. But it feels like the secular wants to push out the spiritual at times. Mm -hmm. And if we're not intentional as parents, as grandparents, or, or even as just new believers, and we're trying to figure out, man, what kinds of traditions am I building within my community, within my friend group, you know, those kinds of things, or, or within my family, like my, you know, like here I am. You're the oldest child, right? Now I'm a middle. Oh, middle child. Okay. So, so how do I influence this as the second child? Like, how do I influence this when I, when God's been doing something in me that, that is pretty special and, and I just want others to experience it. And so I think just taking some time to consider mm -hmm. What am I going to do this year to help my family connect with Christ, not only his first advent, 
but his second advent, which is which is a really important part of the conversation, and we're going to see that in particular this this coming Sunday. And uh, in a sermon, cool. I like it. So Logan talked about brought up uh, an, an Isaiah seven and a Matthew chapter. Was it chapter two? Passage. That sounds correct. Because Matthew one is the genealogy. Is or is it Matthew three? Um, it's Matthew. No, it's Matthew one. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's at the end of Matthew one. Look at that, Matthew one eighteen, right? And so. Logan talked about this this double prophecy, and there's been some criticism over the years, two thousand years, of of the use of this Isaiah passage in Matthew. And the first objection is: is a virgin birth even possible? Right. Uh, usually, the objection to a virgin birth falls as a logical consequence of objecting to any and all supernaturalism. And I'm, I'm reading out of the Jewish New Testament commentary by uh, David Stern. Uh, he's presenting uh, three, the three objections that have traditionally been posed. He says this, uh, but the God of the Bible is literally supernatural. He's above nature. And since he created nature, it's, and its laws, he lives outside of those laws. Mm-hmm. And so a picture like, let's say you're, let's say Logan's aquarium, right? Mm-hmm. What's happening inside that aquarium is living according to the design of Logan, the aquarium builder, designer. Mm-hmm. And so according to the fish... Things have to happen a certain way because that's the world that the fish lives in. But but Logan doesn't live within those rules and can change the makeup of the aquarium anytime he wants to. Right. He can make it a, a freshwater to a saltwater aquarium. Like he could add light, he could remove light, he could add a whole different species of fish that has never lived in that aquarium before. Like he is Logan is not limited by the laws and rules that govern that aquarium that he created because he lives outside of that. Yeah. In the same way, we got to believe that God lives outside of the laws and the rules of the world that we live within. And even though we are stuck with these restrictions, he is not. Well, I think it's interesting that this is, you said it's a Jewish commentary, right? Yeah. And so my understanding, Jews do believe in the Old Testament, correct? Yeah, he, and he's talking about, like, at large, the, the objections at large. Well, yeah, but like... But yeah, this is a Jewish man writing this, and he's, he's, a, he's a follower of Christ. Yeah, but the, the point I was trying to, to build to is I think there's other times in the Bible where we see super, like, non 
possible things, so to speak, occur, things that break the laws of this world. And I don't see how a virgin birth is any different than, say, like, Absolutely. the sea parting. Absolutely. Or, you know, any of those ten plagues. Or, not plagues. What are they called? Plights? Yeah. Are plagues. they plagues? Okay. Yeah. Plagues, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Like, stuff like that, I don't see how that's any different than a virgin birth. Right. Like, I think there's examples of our God breaking the rules of our world right. before, but then why is this one contested? Right. Rack Shack and Benny not burning in the furnace. That's a pretty big... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and how God does that, like, it, that, that blows me away. I have no idea. Yeah. How does the Holy Spirit come upon a person and they are now pregnant? I have no idea how that's possible. Right. How does God put on flesh? That that sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's not as if the scriptures don't speak to this event and and you know even the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, right? So so that's the first objection, and and I think the people that are objecting against the virgin birth are actually. Uh, Typically, they're objecting against any miraculous event. They okay. say all these events were somehow explained. You know, it was sleight of hand. It was, mm-hmm. it was smoke and mirrors, whatever. So the second objection is um, in Isaiah, the using of the Hebrew word Alma, referring to a young woman and they say that if he actually meant a virgin, he would have written the word Batula. And so they're saying there's two different words that he could have picked, and Isaiah chose the wrong word. Hmm. Okay? But what David Stern writes is, Alma is used seven times in Hebrew Bible, and each instant it either explicitly means a virgin or implies it. Because in the Bible, Alma always refers to an unmarried woman of good reputation. Hmm. Um, and then he goes on to say, moreover, Matthew is quoting from the Septuagint, the first translation of the Tanakh into Greek. More than two centuries before Jesus was born, the Jewish translators of the Septuagint chose the Greek word parthenos, to render Alma, Parthenos unequivocally means virgin in the Greek. Hmm. And so the Greek Septuagint gives us an, an indication of, of how, when, when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and these were probably originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic. Right later translated into the Greek. And when you, when you see in, in the, in manuscripts that we have our hands on are only the Greek manuscripts where some people really focus in on the Greek word and, and how the Greek word is formed, all that kind of stuff. Like they really focus in on like that aspect of that. My tendency is to go the other direction and ask, how was this word used in, in the Septuagint, and what word is that connected to 
in the Septuagint because that gives me an indication of what the original Hebrew word probably was. That makes sense. And so when people say, well, Isaiah used the wrong word, this, it, it really just means a young woman, that, that, that logic doesn't, doesn't, it, it, doesn't yeah. fly. So the third object, uh, objection um, in Isaiah, the context shows that Isaiah was predicting as a sign to King Ahaz that before the, the Alma, the virgin, as yet unconceived and unborn child, would be old enough to choose good and refuse evil. Syria and the northern kingdom would lose their kings, and Assyria would attack Judah. This prophecy was fulfilled in 8th century BCE, Therefore, the prophet was not predicting an event some 700 years in the future. So that's what the objection is. People are saying, listen, the, the, it already took place. Okay. The prophecy was already fulfilled. But there's something interesting about chapter 7. Um, Logan made a big deal about this. Who was with Isaiah? I think it was his son. It was his son. Okay. Yes. I job, pay attention Kate. during the sermon, guys. <laughs> One out two. <laughs> I even listened to it again today. <laughs> Jen was trying to log in and uh, make sure that she was registered for last week's sermon. <laughs> so, I, so Isaiah says that a virgin will conceive and give birth and his name will be Emmanuel, right? Mm -hmm. Which means God with us. And he says, before this lad, before this toddler is able to choose between good and evil, well, is he talking about the one that's going to be born uh, to the virgin woman? Or is he now pointing to his son? Because why, why are we even told that his son is there? Right. And so what David Stern is saying, and, and he actually credits this to uh, a Jewish believer, Arnold... Uh, Fruchtenbaum. But what Mr. Fruchtenbaum <laughs> said, and that's Mr. an easy name to say uh, for me. But what he basically was saying is that there was a sign to to the king, and there was a sign to the to the people. The sign to the people is this virgin birth. The sign to the king is that. Before this son reaches reaches a certain age, mm -hmm. things are going to be put in motion, and these kingdoms will be forever impacted, according to the prophecy. So, is it a single prophecy? Is it a double prophecy? Is it was it fulfilled partially then? And it's a really really interesting question. 
but uh, there's a few objectives or objections to this Isaiah reference in Matthew and then some explanations. I like it. I think it's really helpful to look into objections of things because, you know, I think that it uh, kind of leads to understanding and a perspective against our own, which I think is something that can kind of strengthen us in our beliefs if we are able to understand the perspective that is counter to our beliefs. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's always worth wrestling with the questions that get raised. Right. You know, first of all, you know, I've been wrestling over to the scriptures for 40 some odd years. Got you beat by Just about a little bit. 20 times, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so one, if you have ob- objections or questions that you're wrestling through, I-, I need to give you space to be able to wrestle through those things because in that wrestling, it, it actually will deepen your faith. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't get freaked out when people come up with questions and they're like, well, why is this this way? And why, why does this say this over here? And, and sometimes people ask questions I've never really considered before. I'm like, well, let me go, let me go wrestle with that myself. Mm-hmm. But we need to give people the space to wrestle through those questions because that, that wrestling is what produces fruit mm-hmm. and, and does ultimately strengthen our faith. Yeah. Have you guys heard of any other objections that David Stern didn't address? No, I haven't. Yeah, I think the big one that I would always like be like, Brett, that that's to say that I would always question when I was, <laughs> sorry, I went a little Gen Z there. Um, <laughs> Translate for me. Uh, I need a Gen Z translator over here. <laughs> Google, where are you? The the thing I always questioned was like how it was po- scientifically possible. But I think that I've come to fruition that science is not necessarily a hard construct when it comes to Mr. Godman. So, yeah. Yeah. And and the and the honest answer is you cannot explain that scientifically. Mm-mm. Right. You you can't. So Okay. Well, um next conversation. Um in the emotionally healthy leader Mr. How do you say his name again? Pete Scazzaro. Scazzaro. Mr. Scazzaro uh, talks about our shadow. And the question we want to wrestle with, how does your shadow inform what what you run to when you're faced with something challenging? And and read a definition for us what, what our uh, shadow is. So your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives, and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. Okay. Hmm. 
So let's say I get an email at uh, 530 in the morning. And the email says that the uh, Paycheck Protection Program loan that the church took out that was supposed to be forgivable by the SBA, um, that zero of it was forgiven and that we were going to have to pay all $18,000 of that loan. My shadow might inform how I respond to that moment. Yep. <laughs> that that $18,000 problem, an erroneous problem no less, because later I'd get another email indicating that, oops, you were not supposed to receive that email. And the oh, real this email... sounds like a real anecdote now. I <laughs> thought this was a hypothetical. <laughs> Hypothetically, it was not hypothetical. <laughs> Oof. You know, and and what and what Pete Zero says that if if we don't face our shadow, there's going to be these this 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 iceberg, you know, below the surface part of us mm-hmm. that you know these the this history that we've lived out, um, poor choices that we've we've embraced. Uh, things that we've seen our parents do, some things that we've seen our grandparents do, these these automatic responses to certain events, right? And it's that broken part of us that God is is slowly but surely redeeming and restoring and and kind of you know putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? right? And so let's 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 use Ahaz and Joseph as, as kind of a compare and contrast of, of their response to, to this prophecy, right? Right. Um, so, Jen, tell us about Ahaz and, and his response and, and just how that reveals his shadow. Well, um, and Logan hit this really well, uh, just talking about how Ahaz kind of doubted what God was going to do and... Um, really decided he was like, God said, Hey, test me on this. And he has like, no, 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 we don't do that. And so it was like, he had the opportunity to really seek God on this. And he decided not to. And he, um, just kind of wanted to do his own thing, his own way. So. Yeah. As soon as the the prophet leaves, he's heading down, you know, he's heading yeah. up north, up to Assyria. <laughs> yeah. Right. So exit prophet out one door. <laughs> Ahaz out the other. Yep. Ahaz out the other door and yep. he, he beats feet to Assyria and adopts their religious practices and and brings their God into the temple mm-hmm. and establishes this whole worship system that we see towards the end of second Kings. Right. Which I think is interesting because the way he kind of handles the prophet, it's more like, no, I want to be in charge, but then he goes and he adapts, adopts a different religion, which like, I don't, hmm, I don't know. I, I think I have to ponder on this as to why he was like so reluctant to release his control 
to like when the prophet was commanding him to, but then he readily jumped into adopting a new religion from the north. I, I think I have to look into what that religion was and what that belief system was to see if he actually was relinquishing control or if it was a... Don't you think we do that all the time, though? Like, when somebody tells us to do something, we're like, no. But then when I get to make the choice, it's like, oh, this is a poor choice. Let's do it. <laughs> like, um, But it's because I got to choose, not because somebody was telling mm. me to. Like, yeah, mom and dad said, son, you don't want to do that. And mom and dad walk out the door and friend says, I think we should do this. And we're like, oh, good idea, friend, who's got 17 years on this earth and, you know, <laughs> hasn't brushed her teeth in, in two weeks. But, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going with you. Uh. <laughs> I was there once. I know. It's like, you're just talking about my week this week as a parent. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so Ahaz was facing a, a real challenge, right? There's two nations bearing down on him. Mm-hmm. Joseph, is, is his situation any different? Like, is the, the Jewish nation and the Roman nation, like, are they any more favorable towards Joseph in this story? No, not really. I mean, they had customs and they had certain ways they were supposed to do something. And then he throws all those out the door to say, no, I'm with her. Like, and that just isn't what you were supposed to do back then. No. Yeah. 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 So, so he's, he's faced with the same dilemma and yet the words of the prophet moves him. Mm-hmm. The same words causes one man to say, no, thanks. I'm out. Mm-hmm. But the other man to go, Oh yeah. Yeah. I trust this. I trust this. And sometimes, sometimes when we understand the story, we could go, oh, yeah, Ahaz was a fool. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be an Ahaz. Right. <laughs> and so knowing your scriptures, knowing knowing that when God speaks, it's powerful, knowing that when God moves, it changes the course of human history, Knowing knowing the story and trusting the story, and trusting story, even I mean, does does did Joseph have a shadow? I mean, everyone has a shadow. Yeah. Well, and I, I think mean, Joseph had an understanding of his shadow, though, and he wasn't. He was willing to not let his shadow control him. Yeah. Where I think Ahaz kind of was consumed. It's 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 pretty metaphorical here that. Scazzaro chooses a shadow to describe this because the shadow is all dark and mm-hmm. Ahaz was like controlled, consumed by his shadow and he was therefore consumed by darkness. Yeah. Call me metaphorical English major, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, we all have a shadow to to varying degrees and maybe Ahaz's shadow was a, a much bigger shadow. And so when we 
when we grow up in a home that's more functional than than other homes like that's there's a great benefit to that and if we are willing to address a shadow and, and for me i had a i had a really big shadow i've spent a ton of time still addressing my shadow yeah i grew up in an alcoholic home you know my parents were very anti-christian for for all my growing up right and I lived a very rebellious life until I finally came back to Christ in my 20s. And it took a, a ton of time to just overcome that shadow. And and I didn't want to face my shadow. I wanted to hide from my shadow mm-hmm. in my late teens. If, if I said something to you... And I was embarrassed by my actions and, and what I said to you as a friend. I would just ignore it and I would just walk away from that friendship. Mm. And later in life, I would look and I would see someone, you know, let's say on Facebook. It's like, oh, Joe from high school on Facebook. And then I wonder, how did that relationship end? Because because I burned so many bridges because I was just unwilling to look at my shadow and deal with those things. And, and the shadow just gets bigger and bigger because when you don't deal with your shadow, you, you create a, a more tumultuous right, yeah. environment. And so I like your, what you said, Kyle, he was willing to face his shadow and, and trust the story He's willing to trust the story more than, like, let's say your shadow has a certain voice, which is going to be the greater voice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be God's voice or is it going to be your shadow's voice? Right. That makes sense. And so 2020 has provided plenty of obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. And what are we going to, in the midst of of that opposition, of those challenges, what are we going to run to? Yeah. Are we going to run to God's word? Are we going to run to hearing God's voice? Are we going to get on our knees and pray? Are we going to run to worship? Mm-hmm. Are we going to open up our scriptures and engage the story? Or are we going to run to activity, run to uh, excitement? Mm-hmm. Are we going to run to the bottle? Are we going to run to anxiety and fear and dwelling on those things? Are we going to run to social media and crowdsourcing? and Yeah. yeah. The list of things that you can run to that um, make your shadow feel comfortable is a mile wide, mm. but it it doesn't do very much for you. It just makes the shadow bigger, like you were saying. But um, I think it's interesting because you were talking about like that he would use shadow. 
Um, what I love is that like when we are standing in the light and in the truth, like when we're standing with Jesus, the shadow is behind us rather than in front of us. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a cool thought. Like, um, so yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I think shadow has a lot of stuff we could dig into with that, but mm-hmm. Who's the lead singer for Switchfoot John? Foreman. Foreman. Oh, I hope Josh doesn't hear you ask that question. <laughs> so um, in talking about social media, uh, John Foreman has a song. Um, Siren Song. The what song? Siren Song. And it's, um, or is it Ghost Machine? Is that the title? I think it's Ghost Machine. Um, But he says, uh, All hail the siren of our time. I'm possessed when she passes by. She drains the best years of my life. She makes promises she can never keep. Mm. Ain't it a ghost machine making a ghost out of me after all her lies. I'm surprised. I still believe she haunts me with her laughter in my dreams, my ghost machine. And it's this idea of the fact that we just, we, we spend all this time and energy on these things that we think are helping or, and, and they can be helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. But then when that becomes our coping mechanism, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or the the game that we play or Netflix binging or going to the bottle, mm-hmm. you know, like it's it's just it, it we intend to use it and then it in turns returns a favor and intends to use us. Mm-hmm. So well, we are heading towards the shortest day of the year. It's increasingly darker. Mm-hmm. 2020 has already been a challenging year. Mm-hmm. We're told that it's going to get more challenging as the pandemic moves on. Mm-hmm. And we want to fix our eyes and our hope and our love and our peace and our joy on Christ during this Advent season. We hope that you will continue to join us uh, this Advent season and create your own Advent uh, traditions for you and those close to you. But we look forward to having you join us this Sunday as we are in person at 8.30 and 10.30 and streaming online, both through YouTube and Facebook. And uh, then join us again next week for another Footnotes podcast. Register now for service so you're not like me waiting till you arrive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a gen. Don't be a Don't gen. Don't be a gen. <laughs> you guys have a great week. And Mission Ridge fam, I'll see you all next year. Oh. 
Peace. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Advent traditions. I don't know if you have any. I, I mean, I got some non-Christian ones. <laughs> I open a chocolate calendar. <laughs> there you go. That's all right. <laughs>